Well, good morning, church family. This is Sunday morning, April the 19th, 2020, and we are continuing to um, meet on Sunday mornings uh, just with our families. Not able to gather together, this is the fifth week that I've recorded a message for Sunday mornings. And uh, our theme this morning is going to be on the Lord, our refuge from Psalm 16. And so if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to follow along with me this morning. Uh, Psalm 16. This psalm is described as a miktam of David. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from me, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, we thank you for this psalm, this word of scripture that we have uh, to read and to think on this morning. Father, my prayer is that this time in your word would be a time of encouragement, uh, that it would remind us, Father, that uh, you are the one to whom we should run, uh, where we should seek our refuge. And Father, this psalm is also a reminder uh, to trust in you, to put our lives completely in your hands. Father, may you be honored uh, through this time in your word, and may your spirit teach and apply these words to our hearts. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. I wanted to start with just a brief overview of this psalm. Um, this psalm could be summarized as a song of trust and also as a confession of faith to God. And so this psalm is an expression of the psalmist's trust of the Lord, but it's also an expression of his devout faith in the Lord. And we'll see that as we move forward in the psalm. The psalm is entitled with this reference to being a miktam of David. Uh, this phrase, miktam, or this word, is not used that much in the Psalms. This is the first time that it's found in the book of Psalms, here in Psalm 16. Uh, it's also found in Psalm 56 to 60, I believe, but it's not really used that often. Uh, scholars are not 100% sure what the word means. It probably refers to a, a certain type of song 
uh, perhaps a, a certain meter or rhythm. Uh, some have tried to uh, look at the etymology of the word and have said that it refers to the act of writing or an inscription. Uh, some have tried to tie it to uh, a, an Aramaic word that has to do with ink or a dye. Uh, but really, we don't know for sure. Uh, but this psalm is uh, put into the Davidic collection. And now when we see a psalm of David like this, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that David wrote every single one of these psalms, uh, but could be regarded as part of the Davidic collection. Uh, we might think of it along these lines. Uh, we have the book of Proverbs, which we refer to as the Proverbs of Solomon. But not every proverb in the book of Proverbs was written by Solomon. In fact, we have at the end of the book, chapter 30, chapter 31, uh, and other places as well, we have uh, specific information that says that these were Proverbs not written by Solomon, but they were gathered together and part of the collection that Solomon put together. Uh, so quite possibly here, this is a Davidic collection of Psalms. We don't know with 100% certainty that David wrote it. In fact, some scholars believe that the person who wrote uh, this psalm was perhaps a priest uh, of the Levitical line. Again, it's hard to be certain, but this psalm is one in which the psalmist is expressing trust and confidence in the Lord. And the first thing that we see from this psalm in the first four verses is that the Lord is worthy of our exclusive loyalty because he alone is God. And I stated these points carefully, and we'll see this as we look at the psalm, but in my points, I've capitalized the word Lord in all capital letters to, as the English translations often do when referring to the proper name of Yahweh. And so here we have the proper name of Yahweh. Yahweh is the Lord. He is our God. And in the opening part of this psalm, the psalmist is expressing really a confession of faith that he trusts, he worships the Lord and the Lord alone and specifically refuses to bow down or offer sacrifices in the name of other gods. And so this psalm is clearly within uh, the monotheistic worship of Israel. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me, the first commandment says. Uh, you shall not make unto yourself any likeness of anything, any graven image, the second commandment says. And so this psalmist fits within that orthodox framework in this confession of faith. He is desiring to worship God and God alone. And we see in verse 1, that because there is only one God, there is only one Lord, he is the only one that can properly be our refuge. Verse 1, he says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. And so this is the, the, the call of the psalmist to God in prayer. And he really cries out to the Lord here for his protection to keep him safe. And he says, Lord, you are my refuge. Now, when we think of a refuge in our context, you know, we might think of maybe a storm. 
like uh, maybe even last Sunday when there was the potential for severe weather. And so we were following the weather closely to see if we needed to take refuge to in a shelter, whether it be a basement or a community storm shelter or to just a secure room in our house. But that's the idea of a refuge is it's a place that we go to for safety, for security when there is danger. Uh, you know, in the ancient world or even in medieval times, uh, people would run uh, to the city and be protected by the city walls and the city gates, or perhaps run inside the walls of the castle to be protected from maybe an invading army. But what the psalmist is expressing here is his trust that God and God alone is his refuge. He is the only place that he can really run to for security. And it's, it's found within this larger context of the opening of Psalm 16 in this confession of faith that there is only one God. And so because there's only one God, he really is the only place to whom to where we can run for security and safety. He is our only refuge. Uh, he also is the only one to be worshipped. Only the Lord is to be worshipped. In verse 2, the psalmist expresses this confession of faith. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. The first instance of Lord in verse 2, I say to the Lord, that is in all capital letters. That is the proper name of Yahweh. And so the psalmist is saying to Yahweh, to the covenant name of Israel, you are my Lord. Now that is a different word. It is small letters, Adonai. He is saying in Hebrew, uh, Yahweh, you are my Adonai. You are my master, my Lord. Why is he saying this? Well, we're going to see in the next couple of verses it's because there's only one God. So he is confessing his faith, his loyalty to Yahweh as his one and only Lord, his one and only master, because he is the only God. And he recognizes that uh, without this God, he would have nothing. He says, apart from you, I have no good thing. He recognizes that, that everything that he has in life, all of the blessings, all of the gifts that he has experienced, ultimately these come from God. We read something similar in the book of James in the New Testament, where James says that every good gift comes down from above from the Father of heavenly lights, in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning, because God is faithful. And so both James and here the psalmist in Psalm 16 recognize that every good thing is ultimately from the providential hand of the Lord. But he also very clearly aligns himself with the Lord, the Lord alone, and also with the Lord's people. And so he refers to the, this community of faith in verse number three, the community of the faithful, who also, like him, desire to worship only the Lord their God. He says, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom 
is all my delight. In other words, the psalmist's closest associations, his closest fellowships and friendships are with the holy people of the Lord. Those who have also, like him, committed their loyalty and their faith to Yahweh, the one true God of heaven and earth. He says, they are my delight. They are the ones to whom I will commune and be in fellowship with. And he very clearly in verse four, distances himself from those who are corrupting the faith or those who are turning away from the faith. He says in verse four, those who run after other gods, small g, will suffer more and more. So those who worship idols, those who turn from the one true God and follow after these false small g gods, he says they're going to reap what they sow. They are going to suffer. They're going to receive, maybe not immediately, but at some point they will receive the just punishment, the just judgment that they deserve for their false worship of turning away from the Lord. And we don't know exactly the context in which Psalm 16 was written. At, at what point along the timeline of Israel's history? Uh, it could have been in a historical situation in which uh, maybe Israel was attempting to worship God, but also worship false gods, kind of a mixture or a corruption of the faith. And we see this uh, and Israel's early history with the golden calf, where when Moses is up on the mountain and Aaron receives all the gold jewelry from the people and they melt it down and they, they fashion this golden calf and they bow down before it. But if you read that account in Exodus 32, it says that the people uh, worshiped this calf as the Lord, as Yahweh. And it was kind of a, a mixture, a corruption of the worship of Yahweh with their false worship practices that they brought with them from Egypt. It could be something like that here, or it could be a total turning away from Yahweh to these false gods. It's hard to know for sure, but either way, it is false worship. And this psalmist is wanting to very clearly state in this statement of faith, this confession of faith, I am not with those. I am with the holy people. They're the ones in whom I delight. But those who run after false gods, I am not with them. They're going to suffer. They're going to be judged by the Lord. And he says at the end of this verse, I, I refuse to participate in their false worship, in their false practices. And some of the language that we have here at the end of verse 4 is one of the reasons why some scholars believe that perhaps this psalm was written by a priest, someone very familiar with uh, worship, uh, sacrificial practices. Because he says here, I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. And so this refers to actual practices of worship in which they would pour out drink offerings to the gods. But, but these drink offerings were actually the, the offerings of blood of the sacrificial animals, or in some cases, 
really detestable acts of even the the sacrifice of human beings, of even child sacrifice. We read about at times in the Old Testament when people turned away from the Lord, detestable practices. And this psalmist loyal to Yahweh says, I am not going to participate at all, be associated at all with that false worship. He is declaring his loyalty to God. And he says, their names are not even going to be on my lips. So not even a a statement, not even a prayer, not even a, a reference to the legitimacy of these false gods. I'm not going to be associated with it in any way. And so he is confessing his faith to the Lord and associating himself with the community of the faithful, but distancing himself very strongly from those who would corrupt or turn away from the faith. So we are to have our loyalty exclusively to the Lord, to Yahweh, because he is the only God. But we also see in this psalm, that the Lord is not only worthy of our exclusive loyalty, he is also worthy of our praise. Why? Because he has abundantly blessed us. The Lord is worthy of our praise because he has abundantly blessed us. And in these next few verses, the psalmist reflects on all that he has been granted by God, on God's bountiful blessings. And it causes him to break forth in praise. And the first thing that he recognizes, and something that we don't recognize and think about often enough, is that the greatest gift that God could possibly give us is the gift of God himself. That sometimes we focus on the blessings We focus on the good things that God has given to us, whether it be our health or our family or uh, the the house that we have, the, the job that we have to work in, friends, whatever it is. Sometimes we focus on those blessings, but we forget that our greatest delight, our greatest joy, the greatest satisfaction of our souls and where we can find our ultimate purpose and identity in life is in God. And the psalmist thinks about that here. He says, really my greatest portion, my greatest blessing is that God, you've given me you. He says in verse number five, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. So he says, Lord, I I could receive all these things. And and the idea of a portion sometimes is, is that which is measured out to someone as a gift. Sometimes it's used in the context of an inheritance, uh, that which is received, assigned to us because of the family that we belong to. But here he says, Lord, you're my portion. You are my cup. You're the one that I take delight in. And again, some scholars look to this as one possible reason why this might have been written by a Levitical priest Because if you remember from the allotment of the land in the book of Joshua, the way that the promised land was divided up among the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Levi, the priests, did not receive a specific set-aside portion of land like the other tribes. Instead, the Levites were apportioned uh, cities to live in within the the 12 tribes of Israel 
And it says in that context that the Lord would be the inheritance of the Levites because they would have this privilege of being able to serve the Lord and and be the ones who would facilitate the worship of the whole community of Israel. So God would be their portion. And so some suggest that perhaps that's what's going on here is a Levitical priest of the tribe of Levi is reminding himself of the greatest privilege that he has, and that is that he has been given God as his inheritance, as his portion. Uh, He also, though, does reflect on the bountiful provision that the Lord has given him. He says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And this could be referring back to verse five, that the Lord is his inheritance, but it doesn't rule out the possibility that here he is also uh, referring to just the gifts that God has given to him, uh, the place where he lives, the, the family that he has given to him, the, the place of work and of service that God has given to him. And he says, I have a delightful inheritance. It, it is a blessing that has been poured out on him by God, and he praises God for it. He also references the blessing of wisdom, that, that God, through his word, through his counsel, gives him instruction. He says in verse 7, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. And when he says, my heart instructs me, I don't think that he's just talking about his own thoughts. But I think he, it's, it's in parallel with the first part of the verse with the counsel of the Lord, which fits with many other places that we, we see in the Psalms where the word of God is the focus, such as Psalm 119. Uh, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So when he says, my, at night, my heart instructs me, it, in the context of verse 7, it's probably his heart filled with the counsels of the Lord, filled with the word of God that he can continue to meditate on even at night when he is going to sleep. So he is praising the Lord for not only his bountiful gifts, but also for his wisdom. And he's also praising God for the blessing of peace and of security. Uh, We saw back in verse number five that he says, Lord, you are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. So there is a, a feeling of peace, of tranquility, of security within the Lord's hand. And he says in verse eight, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And so he is expressing praise to God for several things here, for God himself, for the gift of God, for his presence, the what he has given to him in his life. He, he thanks God for the blessings, for the provisions that he has given to him in life. He thanks God for the wisdom, the counsel of his word uh, through which he is instructed. And here he praises God just for watching over him and for for walking with him and being his security that gives him peace. He doesn't have to fear. He doesn't have to tremble at whatever may be going on in the world 
because the Lord is his refuge. The Lord is his safety. He doesn't have to be shaken with fear or with anxiety. And that's a reminder to us that no matter what's going on in life, uh, whether it be this uncertain time that we live in uh, with this pandemic, this COVID-19, a lot of uncertainty right now, but it could be many other things too. And it could be maybe financial insecurities. It could be relationship difficulties that we're having with other people. It could be uh, the our job being somewhat insecure. Whatever it is, we don't have to quake with fear. We can be settled and have a, a, a settled peace no matter what's going on in life and our circumstances because we know that the Lord is with us and we need to keep our eyes on him. And so the psalmist praises God for his blessings, for his wisdom, for the peace and security that he gives him. And then the psalm ends with a reminder to us that the Lord is worthy of our abiding trust because he will never abandon us. The Lord is worthy of our abiding trust because he will never abandon us. Here the psalmist is putting his hope in the Lord. And not just hope for the present, but hope for the future. He can have trust in the Lord. And and here are some of the things that, that come to us as benefits when we trust in the Lord. Complete trust, completely resting in the Lord, putting our life in His faithful, capable hands can bring joy. Now, when we think of joy, we often think of, you know, just a good time in life. You know, something that's funny, something that's exciting, something that is that makes us happy. But biblical joy is not something that is dependent on the circumstances. We can be in a time of difficulty. We can be in a time of trouble, but the Bible says that we can still be joyful. James says in James chapter one, that we should count it or regard it, consider it all joy. When we end up falling into various kinds of trials and difficulties. Why? Because James says those trials and difficulties can be used by the Lord to strengthen us, to cause us to persevere, to mold us into the mature uh, image of Christ that God wants to make us into. So we can have joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Uh, even when everything else around us is, you know, shaking and quaking and think of, you know, being in the midst of the ocean, like the disciples, maybe on the Sea of Galilee, and, and everything around them is is crashing around, the waves are piling into the boat, and they're fearful, and they're crying out to the Lord to save them, and notice what the Lord is doing. He's asleep. He is calm, isn't he? That image of the Lord Jesus, calm, restful, in the midst of the storm, is what this psalmist is talking about here. We can have that kind of a joy, that kind of a peace, a security, even in the midst of difficult times, because 
we trust God. Jesus knew that that storm was no problem. That he could say, by, with, the, with the divine power that was his, he could say, peace, be still. And the waves would stop. Well, we need to have that kind of a trust, that kind of a calmness with God, because he is in control of everything that's going on in our lives, in this world. And so the psalmist says, therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body also will rest secure. So he can have a joy. He can have a a gladness. Uh, Verse 11 says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Pleasure is at your right hand. So he, he expresses to the Lord and reminds us through this psalm that the Lord is worthy of our complete trust because he will not abandon us. And when we trust in him in this way, we can have a settled confidence, a peace, and even joy in the midst of hard circumstances. So trust can bring joy to our lives. It can bring security, bring security to our lives. He said in verse nine, my body also will rest secure. So he can even lie down at night and not worry, not be anxious because he knows that the Lord is providentially watching over him. Trusting in God, in his providence, can bring us this feeling of security. Also, it can bring us hope. Complete trust in the Lord brings hope. And the idea of hope is that which is future-oriented, forward-looking. And there's a lot of that in this psalm. Notice what he says in verse 10. Why can he trust? Why can he have joy and why can his body even rest securely because he says in verse 10 because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your faithful one see decay now if that verse sounds familiar to you it's because it's quoted in the new testament of jesus resurrection so in the book of acts chapter 2 also later in acts chapter 13 this psalm is used by the apostles to point to the reality of the resurrection of Christ from the dead and even uh, referenced, predicted, if you will, at least in a typological way in the Old Testament here in Psalm 16. So this is used in the New Testament to refer to the ultimate triumph over the grave of Jesus Christ, that when Jesus rose from the dead, he completely defeated death. Death had no hold on him, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. O death, where is your victory? O grave, where is your sting? Death is defeated because of the resurrection of Christ. And because of Christ's resurrection, we who are in Christ have this hope of verse 10 as well, that we will not be abandoned to the realm of the dead just to be put into the ground where our body will decay and corrupt. No, we have 
a future hope of resurrection, don't we? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so in the context of the Old Testament, this psalmist is is reminding himself that no matter what happens, even, even death ultimately cannot defeat God's eternal good purposes for him. So he can trust. He can have hope. You will not abandon me till the realm of the dead. And in, in fact, he says in verse 11, this is the climax of his hope. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now, there is not a lot in the Old Testament that clearly, specifically points to the resurrection of the dead or an afterlife, after death. There are places in the Old Testament, but a lot of times it's veiled, it's kind of hinted at. One of the clearest references is, is in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where it says that many who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting joy, others to everlasting contempt or condemnation. But across the Old Testament, there are not a lot of clear references to eternal life or to uh, resurrection from the dead, to the afterlife and the presence of God. We have a lot of them in the New Testament, and we have a very clear, sure testimony to the resurrection from the dead in the New Testament, as I mentioned a moment ago, through the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there are some hints. There are some here, some places here and there in the Old Testament where we get uh, just a glimpse of the hope beyond the grave for those who are God's people. And I think this Psalm 16 verses 10 and 11 fits into that. This psalmist understands that death is not the end for God's people. Death is not the end. Even in death, God, you're not going to abandon me. And he may not have all of the 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 aspects of it figured out clearly revealed to him by God but he has this hope he has this confidence in the living God that death is not the end for God's people and that one day and really forever he will enjoy the presence of God where there are eternal pleasures at his right hand and so the psalmist expresses hope in that so what is this psalm teaching us? This psalm is teaching us that the Lord alone, the Lord, Yahweh alone, is worthy of our worship, praise, and trust. The Lord alone is worthy of our worship, praise, and trust. Why? Because he alone is our security, provision, and hope. So we can worship praise and trust in God, knowing, confident that he will provide, knowing that he will secure, knowing that in him we have eternal hope. My prayer this morning is that just focusing on this psalm, a psalm of trust, a psalm of confidence, a psalm of confession to the Lord, of this trust and confidence, 
that it will help us individually and as our families to remember that no matter what is going on in this world, that we can rest securely in the strong, faithful, loving hands of our Savior. And so I pray that that's an encouragement to you today. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you have given to us your word. Father, your word is full of hope. It is full of truth and of wisdom. It is full of the the confidence that we need to trust in you. Lord, I thank you for the testimony of this psalm and for just a few minutes that we've had today to think on it, meditate on it. Lord, I don't know what uh, everyone who's watching this is going through. I don't know uh, what's going on in their lives, whether they're sick, whether they have a loved one who is sick, whether they're dealing with a very serious illness, uh, whether they're dealing with financial uncertainty, uh, whether they're dealing with broken homes, broken marriages, difficult, uh, tough relationships with their children, uh, dealing with just the stress of work or maybe even the uncertainty of losing their jobs. Father, I don't know what everyone is going through, but Lord, I pray that this psalm would be an encouragement to them. And we thank you for inspiring your servant to write it and to and that through David and through uh, the prophets of the Old Testament, we have this psalm recorded for us. And Father, I pray that you would bless your people, give them hope and confidence in the midst of these unsettled times. And we pray this, Father, in the name of Christ. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.